And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? It's Andrew Morgans, your host on today's episode of Startup Hustle, covering all things entrepreneurship, Amazon e-commerce, digital. Super excited about today's guest today, Spencer Shaw coming from Tennessee, but I think around the world, actually. We'll get into some of that when we get to his story. Today's episode is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Spencer, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we were uh, we almost got carried away on the intro, just uh, you know, talking about travel. And um, I think that's probably got to be a big part of your why uh, and why you've built the business that you have. Like, let's get into that. Um, let's talk a little bit about your story. I think that's fun versus just like going straight into kind of what you do. Uh, let's talk about kind of why, like, how did you get into the space you're in now? You talked about living abroad with your family. Um, go back as far as you want. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. You know, uh, to me, this is like, we're like eating from the best buffet in the world, this conversation right now. Um, so to give context, I have a a completely virtual company. So okay. we have uh, employees in, you know, Tennessee, New York, New Jersey, Canada, like all throughout the US, but also in South America, um, in the Philippines. And so completely virtual. And the reason why is because our family travels a ton. So okay. this this year alone, we've spent, you know, three months in Mexico. Uh, we spent time in South America and all over the place. And th the reason why is... Um, why not? <laughs> like, uh, I mean, it's, I think it's, it's really easy for us to get lost in the monotony of stuff and to get comfortable. I think traveling helps you to avoid that. And it wasn't always this way. You know, what happened years ago in my twenties is I owned a real estate brokerage and okay. then I owned a real estate investment firm. Okay. And so I'm, we, I'm, I'm kind of right there in one of my businesses. So, yeah. and, uh, growing up, you know, I had the dad that took me to Africa and Russia and, um, as a missionary kid till I was 16. And, um, I think it's one of my greatest advantages being a white male, having perspective. Um, and I'm very, very grateful for my parents not putting their lives on pause. Um, you know, just to keep us super, super safe or something like that, like a lot of people might think, and that exposes us to so much of the world. But I wanted to jump in there because you're just getting started and already we're, we're pretty aligned right now. So, okay. So, so in your twenties, um, just backing up you, you were a real estate investor or an investment mm -hmm. firm and, and had a real estate brokerage. Yeah, I did. And, and, and that was awesome. I had other businesses before that. So like rewind, uh, I owned a, a real estate education and referral company. Uh, I had a restaurant. Um, I exited from both of those okay. and then started the investment company, uh, with my friend. And the cool thing about the investment company is, you know, you've, you're building cash flowing assets and then you've got big, uh, we'll call it transactions that happen. You know, like when you, 
flip a house or if you're going to do a wholesaling or whatever that is. Um, that's great. You get taxed by that. So, I mean, if you can focus on the cash flow stuff, even better. Uh, and we loved it. And this is rewinding the clock back in mid 2000s. Well, there was this thing called the 2008 crash. And it was brutal. Uh, it was absolutely decimating. And we owned a ton of real estate at that time. Luckily, we didn't lose anything. We didn't, you know, have where were you at? Day. Where were you at with real estate? Like, were you all over the world? Were you in a specific area? Can I, can I ask? Yeah, yeah. So I'm transparent, man. Uh, Nashville, Tennessee. But okay. then, so we owned houses uh, all throughout the Southeast. And then we did hard money lending. So uh, if people are familiar, aren't, what that means is uh, you take some of your capital and other investors can use that capital and they pay a premium for it. Mm -hmm. um, that looks really good on paper. That sucked for us. That's ultimately like what really hurt when the market turned. Um, and it's not my uh, expertise of that. Our expertise was in finding the right properties, marketing uh, those properties that we would either flip wholesale or um, turn into amazing rental properties. Loved it. You're walking my street. So um, my very first like real estate move outside of Kansas City, hopefully, is going to be in the Ozarks this fall. We're taking on four condos down there um, to Airbnb. So my my end goal is, is probably similar to yours in that I want to have Airbnbs around the world that I rotate between with myself or my family, um, you know, keeps it's your stuff when you're there. It's not when you're not, you know, you can cash flow them when you're not there. Um, so some of these like details around kind of how you said in Nashville, but also all the Southeast to me is just, you know, um, percolating my interest. And I guess one thing I would say is you kind of went really quick into I owned a real estate brokerage and I was a real estate investor. Did you start out as a young 20 year old just like selling houses like a realtor and just kind of use those monies to kind of build your thing up? Or like, how did you fall into that? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. Because most people don't go this deep. So it's actually it's kind of fun. Like I'm, I'm going down memory lane. So uh, 21 years old, I got a real estate license. It was a, a year, you know, I went to a year of college and that summer it was kind of like, hey, what should I do? And I was playing in a rock band okay. and I was running soundboards. So I happened to be really good at that. So during the the evenings or whatever, I'd run sound soundboards for, sadly, it was like for boy bands a lot of the time. <laughs> I know it's awful. it was awful, but whatever it paid. Um, went to real estate school, got a license, and then started as a real estate agent. Okay. And I did that. And it was awesome. Loved it. And what I ended up doing is, is I found some opportunities that no one else saw. See, I, for some reason, I've always like focused on what are some leverage points that I can take. Mm -hmm. And I came up with this concept called Real Estate Days. And I went into a local bank branch and I said, hey, I mean, you guys have mortgage officers here. And what we need to do is, you know, get people's attention. And, and remember, this is like early 2000s. And this is when the internet was still pretty young. And so when a person wanted to get a loan on a house, they'd go into their bank for the most part. And they'd talk with someone at the bank and they'd go through that process. And so I said, you've got half of the puzzle. The other half is a real estate agent. So how about we create these real estate days? We'll put up like some advertising for it. People will come in 
every single person that comes in, obviously we're going to send them to you. And then the people that want to buy it, they come to us. So they're like, cool, let's do it. Happened and they, they totally worked. So we did it again. A couple of the real estate agents found out about this. I told them. And so I said, well, how about I just line up these other banks? Well, within a few months, we had like a couple hundred bank locations okay. and we had hundreds of agents. And then we decided, well, they needed to go through our coaching and training program. And we just established this giant company and we got a 30% referral fee from every single transaction. It was it. unheard of. It was really cool. So I was able to exit from that company in my early twenties. And, um, and you know, it, it, I still loved doing real estate and I wanted to get into real estate, but I had purchased some by that time. And I had a broker's license, but I really enjoyed the investing side more than the transactional side. Being a, mm -hmm. a, a broker is just really not that enjoyable. Mm -hmm. And uh, the investing side was fun. And that's, again, where we were able to leverage and get opportunity by you know, the people that we worked with or by the marketing techniques that we had. I mean, this is like before... Yahoo ads, you know, this is a long, long time ago. We were some of the pioneers running Google ads or different types of postcards or whatever it would be. I love that. I, so two things. One, I'm of a similar mindset. I think most entrepreneurs are like, I saw the opportunity on Amazon early and jumped on that. So like, that's my, my marketing agency it helps brands on Amazon. Um, saw an opportunity other people didn't. I mean, that was something you said in passing, but I think it's super, super big. Um, and with everything like tech and innovation and all this stuff happening at light speed, I think there's more and more of these opportunities every single day. As something else innovates, there's a gap. There's another gap, you know. Um, okay, there's there's a space here for someone to learn this and then educate this to others. Or, um, you know, from your guys' coaching to, you know, I think normal referral fees are like 25%. So you added an extra 5%. You guys are being like, hey, we've put this together for you. And then you scaled it way past any one probably typical real estate team. You know, if you had hundreds, then you were bringing in not just Keller Williams, but probably Remax, whoever wanted in on it. Um, I'm not sure how that all worked, but I'm just imagining kind of pulling that together in the early days as well. Um, I was in a band for my first probably four years of business. I was a full-time musician in a rock band. Um, I was getting my computer science degree online while touring the US. My goal was to travel. I wanted to travel and be free. First, I didn't care about money. Um, I just wanted to make things, fix, you know, like make things and travel and see the world uh, that I hadn't seen. And I just got tired of being poor. And so my plans pivoted into like, you know, tech and what I knew and what I went to school for. And so here I am today. But um, interesting similarities. I'm just having <laughs> some fun with it. You know, I'm having some fun with it. And I really, I am in a space right now where I'm 10 years into e-commerce. Um, feeling like we're pioneering this stuff. So it's very relatable in regards to just, you can almost try anything. Um, Cause there's so many things that haven't been done, you know, that you can just, so you guys were doing Google ads and Facebook ads. And I know now like those things are even policed a little bit by when it comes to real estate and fair housing and all of that. But was it pretty wide open in the early days? It was so wide open. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, we loved it. Our best uh, tool was probably direct mail. Okay. And I still think that direct mail is something that a lot of people forget about. And people have gone to texting now. I get mm -hmm. texts like I've got properties, you know, here in Kansas City, and I probably get two to three texts a week on some of my properties that people really want. 
Um, I think texting is like is a, a crossover or a comparison to direct mail, like mm -hmm. getting people directly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. And I think that the thread is that there's always opportunity out there and we have to be aware of what it is. And, and I don't take credit for any of the things like the, you know, the starting out of a real estate referral company, like I was able to get some locations on my own, but then I ended up uh, talking with another real estate agent friend of mine. He had been an investment banker in New York city. He had relocated, wanted the slower pace of life. And his vision was so much bigger than my 20 something year old vision. And so that's how we were able to scale so much more. And I think that goes along with business or whatever we're doing. Like, sure, we may be a catalyst for it, but ultimately to really grow many times, we're going to have to find either a mentor or a partner or someone that's going to push us to that next level. Yep. I could, I can 100% agree. The difference in when I was kind of trying to pioneer the Amazon space or the e-commerce space on my own, because no one believed in what I was doing or no one could understand exactly what I was doing for brands. They just, I couldn't communicate it well and they couldn't get their head around it. It wasn't until I found, um, one mentor and then two mentors and then three mentors where my ceiling started to grow. And that would be the one thing And people are like, what's one mistake you've made, you know, biggest mistakes as entrepreneurs or failures, whatever you want to call them. For me, it's always been like my vision or my, my ceiling was just too low, mm -hmm. you know? And then you get a mentor that comes around and is like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like buying this brand is nothing. I'm trying to build a portfolio of brands and you're like, Oh my God. Okay. Great idea. You know? Um, so I can very much, um, agree with that. So you met this other realtor that had been in the game longer that was just like, oh, we can actually make this thing huge. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's surprising because that that happens with any industry out there whatsoever. And I, and I look at people that are starting out as entrepreneurs and I, I want to encourage, you know, everyone to be an entrepreneur. And there are some people due to geographic location that they might not have a mentor there or they might yeah. not have a partner. And so you turn to a podcast like this, you, you know, you read a book, you do whatever you can to, to get that mentor. And even if the mentor doesn't know, like, you know, you probably have people that tune in and they're like, man, I can't, I can't wait to hear what Andrew's going to share. And they're like considering you as that mentor and you don't even know about it. And so, you know, we can look at it at, at several different ways. I, uh, I want to take just a second to talk, to touch on that. Like, um, so for people listening, like I didn't have a mentor for a long time. Gary V was kind of my mentor because he did for YouTube, what I'm doing for Amazon, where he went into his dad's business. He started a YouTube wine library before anyone cared about YouTube. He built up his dad's business. He left that, took nothing from it, and then created an agency around marketing and YouTube. And I'm like, that's what I'm doing with Amazon. Um, and so he was the, like the closest to mentoring me just by looking at somebody that was like, and he was authentically himself. Let's not forget that. I loved that. Um, it, but I was desperate for like, I guess, leadership. I come from a, a missionary, like, you know, church faith-based background. And so b business isn't something that was like handed down to me. Uh, they started churches out of nothing, which is a lot of entrepreneurship in that, but it wasn't like a business model. And so I actually went to, I found out, I wanted to know everything about Amazon. So I found out that there was a program called Amazon Launchpad. 
that was a support system for Amazon sellers, but only people that did crowdfunding, brands that were doing crowdfunding, this Launchpad program was for that. And I knew nothing about crowdfunding. So I knew that there was a, um, a guy, a professor at UMKC, our local university that had a PhD in crowdfunding. And um, he's from Brazil. And I reached out to him and I said, would you get coffee with me? I want to learn more about crowdfunding. Like if I'm going to know everything about Amazon and be a true Amazon expert, I need to know about this. And so I wouldn't even know how to get a brand into Launchpad if they were a crowdfunded brand because I wouldn't know enough to like talk to them intelligently about it. So we sat down for coffee. He's like, hey, you look like a great candidate for the e-scholars program at UMKC. You should sign up. It's like a thousand dollars a semester and you get access to these like 150 mentors. Like it's the big part of the UMKC program is you get matched with these mentors. And I was like, okay, sure. And so I went up to UMKC. I'm just following the little steps, you know, that you, you just, this is what entrepreneurship is. You don't know where you're going. You just like take these little steps. He gave me some advice. I followed up on it. I go talk to the head of the program. He said, you're too far along in your business to be part of this program. It's not going to be useful for you. But if you volunteer as a mentor, then you can get access to all the mentors. And I was like, okay. So they didn't have an e-commerce mentor. So I filled that gap. And what I realized was, even at, and this is a couple of years ago, I'm 34, but it was like, what do I have to tell these kids that are 24 or, you know, what I'm so close to them. These mentors have been in this, these careers sometimes for 40 years, 50 years. Um, and I learned that proximity can be one of the best, um, ways to mentor another, meaning like, it's not that I know everything, but it's like, I'm closer in age to them. And so we're relating on a closer level. Um, and so where you were saying, Hey, you might be a mentor to someone else. I never really thought of myself as a mentor until I kind of realized that and learned that that's like, look, if someone's closer to my path or my story than the next person, like my story for them might be the mentorship that they need. So I, I took a few minutes, but like, that was something that huge, hugely impacted, like, I guess who I've became and like my, um, my ceilings you know, just changed as I saw different perspectives. Yeah. You know, it's, it's crazy. Like you, you brought back a memory from me when I was in high school. So I played in bands as well. And, you know, I had this dream that I don't know about you, but I was like, man, I want to play Madison square gardens. Like as a kid in the nineties is like, Oh, that be just like the, the coolest, like you've made it. Um, we never played Madison square gardens. I mean, we cut a couple albums, cut an album in Seattle and we, I mean, we had fun. Yeah. It was great. Um, but what's so surprising is that you can make that same impact now as a musician spitting out tunes on YouTube, TikTok, Insta. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're filling stadiums every yeah. day on those platforms. And, I, and it's just like entrepreneurship. You know, you didn't know that you were going to become this mentor of a program. I mean, you just took the next step. And I think that's so much about startups and so much about entrepreneurship of just saying, yeah, this is what I want. And I'm willing, I'm willing to fight for it and go for it. And guess what? It's probably going to change and I'm going to end up somewhere else, but I'm ending up somewhere else that's better. That's what's so fun about this. And it's a game to all of us. And I think if the people that are just so focused on money and don't get me wrong, like we've probably all of us have been broke at some time and totally suffered and had it suck. I mean, I certainly have many times, um, but that doesn't stop us 
Yeah. Like we just keep on fighting for it. And it's a game, but when it's all about money, then that's when you just become dead inside and and it's uh and it's just work that ultimately will just suck and it just ends everything. No, and I, I don't want to take too long on that because I can I can walk that street. Um, you know, I've hit success and not even been broke. I've hit success with money and been lost because it isn't just about the money for me. You know, so I'm like, look, I ain't working my ass off 12, 14 hours a day for money. I've already got the money for what I need, you know, and it was like, what is my motivation? What is driving me to do this? What is driving me to, you know, continue to service other brands and help other people? Um, and I had to refocus and, you know, reset my goals and, and get dialed in and realize it wasn't just about the money. Cause if it's just the money and you're not loving what you're doing, uh, the motivation, at least for me is like out the window. I got no motivation. Like it's not money alone is not a motivator for me. So it's money coupled with other things or the, the things that money brings, right? <laughs> the, the, the traveling. So, okay. So I want to keep like, if I, if we just run down this route, I think we're too aligned that we'll just talk forever. I want to get back to your story real quick. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So you had this idea, you scaled it with the other realtor, kind of the mentor that helped mm -hmm. you like see a bigger idea and pull in all these like, uh, other realtors and, you know, ultimately scale your idea. The cr you get to the crash in 2008. Um, and you're using hard money. You were lending to a lot of people or other investors using hard money. Mm -hmm. Um, what came after that? Yeah. So after that, you know, right in that time, 2007, eight, I had read the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. Mm. That was, that was one of those pivotal books right there. Um, still doing the real estate business. This is before the crash. I read it. Uh, that's what helped me understand to start running more ads and, you know, being a lot more agile in our thinking. And I, I saw an opportunity with the internet. And at that time, I reached out to a mentor because, again, that's where it all is going to start, finding someone that's already experienced. So I reached out to a mentor, and he took me under his wing to learn some of this online stuff. And so I started an online commerce. Uh, we were one of the larger uh, mixed martial arts uh, apparel companies. Okay. Um, I started a company that created uh, online courses, online inf like information products, ebooks and stuff like that. And this is like 2008, 2009. It's so early. Forever ago. Yeah. And um you know, we just I just dived all in and it was it was slow going. It was a slog for a long time. When it you know, the MMA stuff, we had some moments where it was pretty good, you know, call it, you know, decently good, you know, about a thousand net a day, which mm -hmm. is okay. But then when it really took off is, uh, I remember the, the company, it was with my friend and he developed a Facebook app and he had a few sales, but it, it wasn't quite there. And I could see the potential. He asked me to review his marketing. I made some tweaks to it. Sales blew up and he said, dude, I think we have something. So together we built another app. And I handled the marketing side. He handled the tech side. And we had something. So within a few months, we had 10,000 uh, unique customers. Our MMR was crazy high. And life was amazing because we put ourselves in the right place at the right time. Yep. Now, how did that company go? We did get an offer. Someone offered to buy in the first six months of the company. Like any genius... 
would do. You sit there and you're like, oh man, we're making so much money. Why would I take an offer right now? Because in 18 months, we're going to be worth so much more. The market crashed, meaning Facebook pulled back what developers could do. And so our revenues started to drop. But that's a part of it, which led to the next business that I have. And that business, I mean, it was still good. We still had you know growth. We had customers on for years. Um, and the IP was really valuable. But I started a uh, podcast agency. Okay. And this is eight years you're, ago. You're all over the place, just for the record. From yeah. MMA to a restaurant to a brokerage to um, where else are we at? Apps yeah. to multiple apps. So like you're definitely not just in one niche. You're like you're trying all different kinds of things, honestly. Yeah, you know, and I did because it's it's what interests me. Yeah. And it's it's what challenges me. So like for example, you know, our podcast company, we're you know, I don't know. I mean, most of these companies are are private, but I would say we're probably one of the larger uh podcast companies out there. Okay. And we could be content with just producing podcasts and owning podcasts. But you know, uh, I don't know, six months, nine months ago, I said, there's got to be something we can do to innovate. And so I uh, started innovating in that space. And we have a couple of uh, brilliant developers, uh, machine learning scientists and data scientists that work for us. And we've created our own AI okay. and stuff that helps our company. And so, yeah, we're, we're still in this podcast space, but we're a tech company. And, and I think that that's how it has to be. If you ever stop, if you're ever like, oh yeah, I'm really good at this one thing and I'm only going to do this thing. I mean, the, the pace that this world works at, that might last for six months. You might get a year out of that. I mean, you have to constantly innovate. And if you're not, you're dead. I love that. Speaking of developers, I'm going to pause real quick for our sponsor, fullscale.io, helping you build software teams quickly and affordably. Um, speaking of mentors, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson, um, the founders of this podcast, they brought me in several years ago to be the e-commerce host. Um, those are the two founders of FullScale.io, which help you plug in software developers into your company or into your apps as needed. Um, a great resource for people that are trying to you know, add tech, add innovation, add optimization, and improve their business. I'm in the Amazon space, and I talk to manufacturers and brands uh, all day, every day that have crushed it in the past. Um, but you know, if they are not in the pandemic taught people some hard lessons around e-commerce, um, that if they're not, they might be doing great, but things happen, you know, the crash of 2008, like, uh, Google makes changes, Facebook makes changes, Amazon makes changes. And, um, if you're not constantly trying to optimize, if you're not trying to reach your full potential to pull in the title of the episode here, like if you're not trying to reach your full potential as an entrepreneur, as a business, um, you know, you're going to be left behind. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I believe that 100%. When I'm, I think it's why it's so easy for me to sell because I'm talking to them. I don't personally care if they, you know, get into e-commerce or direct to consumer or not. I just totally believe that if they are products good business and they're not, um, you know, selling direct, getting to know their customers' opinions and getting real segmented all the way down to getting feedback from their direct customers, not just selling to Nordstrom and getting Nordstrom's feedback, but getting customer feedback, um, innovating, creating better product they'll be left behind. Yeah, totally. You know, there's, there's another piece on top of that, which I think um, only uh, seasoned or call it an entrepreneur after they've had an exit will realize the importance of tech, which is it 
increases the multiple that you're going to get from your company when you decide to sell. So you know, as an Amazon seller or e-commerce seller, whatever it may be, you know, if you're out doing the work every single day, there's things that you know that others don't. Mm-hmm. So you know, go forward and create a, a Chrome plugin or go and create a Shopify app or go do something that can add uh, A, revenue to your business, but B, you know, when you decide to sell or if you decide to sell, you're now a tech company. The multiple of your company has just gone up and you're a lot more bulletproof. And again, it's, I mean, we've seen this, you know, the pandemic came, a lot of guys that were really good at working with one supplier and crushing it in one niche, all of a sudden couldn't get their container shipped. Boom, they're done. And they still have to pay. And so it's like all these cash reserves they had, they're done. If they would have had a software, if they would have had something else, they'd have been fine. Yep. A hundred percent. You know, the restaurant business, like I've been saying, if they didn't have Postmates or Uber Eats or some of these apps that are horrible, honestly, like sure, we got food during the pandemic and I'm not just complaining, but I just mean they won't deliver to some neighborhoods. They don't show up. They've gamed how to get your food and say that you weren't there when they dropped it off. Like in general, the, the customer service aspect of those apps, I think is absolute shit. Um, if the rush, the restaurants don't have websites that can handle like traffic on their own to go orders, like uh, delivery, most restaurants, if I'm talking about in generalities, most of them are horrible, archaic, the images are horrible. And so Postmates and Uber Eats saved, I think, a ton of businesses by having that tech. Um, that's not even good. Yeah, but, totally. you know, it, it's so all these restaurants even that aren't even in that space need to start thinking about, you know, how to control that that brand. Um, you know, if I order from restaurant X uh, three times and each time the Uber driver is shit and it's like not great or it's old or it's missing things, I'm going to stop thinking about that restaurant, honestly. Um, so their hands are in or their business is in the hands of like some third party stuff where if they just spent some time in their e-commerce or spent some time on their website or spent some time building their own little restaurant app, um, you know, like all these QR codes that are things that have popped up, you know, uh, these, these things, they could be so much better off and, and better prepared that if they have to close their doors again and go back online, they're ready to go. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the, that's the working in and working on the business. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, uh, one, maybe ignorance is bliss for some of those restaurant owners. Uh, maybe they're just so busy and I, I hate it when I hear people like, Oh, I'm too busy. I can't do it. It's like, no, you just don't know what your priorities are. Yeah. You know, and it's it's not that difficult to grind it out on a weekend or to just pay someone to do it. I mean, you can solve so many problems quickly. And I think, it, again, it's just, you know, are you willing to innovate or are you complacent? And if you're complacent, like, don't get me wrong, like, there's a time, like, there's an ebb and flow. Like, when we travel and go on vacation, you know, I'm not working, you know, 24-7. Um, but when I am working... You know, I'm intense. I want to. I want to do it to the very best that I possibly can. I want to get the most leverage out of it. Meaning, I want to use virtual assistants. I want to have the very best automations and processes in place, so that I don't have to think about most of the things. I can just think about the stuff that's most important. I love that, and I think that from Tim Ferriss or Gary Vee, or um, you know, for me, it's little things. If people want some practical examples, it's like. Uh, automating my follow-up email series or, you know, automating my, um, when alerts come in on some of our brand accounts, they turn into tickets automatically and that ticket gets assigned to a person. And, you know, that person has a, has a due date automatically assigned. You know, these are like simple things that 
your employees don't love doing. And if you can spend time like automating that for them, that is serving your customers. That's leadership, in my opinion. Um, you know, getting, making their jobs where they're doing the things that they like versus the things that are necessary um, and trying to figure that out for all of them. Like that's my, been my obsession for the last couple of years as I've gotten more time to work in my business um, or work on my business. Like, you know, the processes um, and people just, you know, you don't even know what you, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, and sometimes it's like, I'll work with another company that sends me some automated series or something that just blows my mind. And I'm like, wow you know and and then on the other side on the sales side i'll have my emails go out and i'll have brands just be like wow i just loved that welcoming series i knew it was automated you said it was you called it out um but you just made it super easy for me to book with you and get information about your company and i was like wow if you're this organized on from the get-go like how how much better are you gonna make my company you know so it's it's things like that that I think are the unsaid things like that's rare to get someone to give you that feedback, you know, but um, I remember when it happened, I was like, yeah, I spent like hours, you know, I've spent hours and hours and hours on some of those things. I'll be repeatable. Um, you know, the title of today's episode is reaching your full potential. We didn't talk about like, you know, podkick media and obviously it's not completely reaches potential because you're continuing to innovate. But um you know, and optimizing while you're on vacation, you talked about three months in Mexico. Is that vacation or is that just working abroad? So um, I I think that that's that's a good question and I'll clarify that. So I I don't believe in taking months and months sabbatical. Uh, I think doing that um, is very much like retiring. And if you look at the definition of retire, it means to be taken out of service. So I never want to retire. Um, Did we take time when... You know, we took time when we went on an island off of Mexico and I didn't use my phone, like check no social, no email, no texts, no phone calls, you know, and days and days and days like that. That's totally fine. Uh, but it all comes down to like how the company works. What's the pulse of the company? So I'll, I'll kind of give a glimpse of it how it works for us at least. So we um, use asynchronous communication with almost everything that we do in our company. And there's two types of communication. You have synchronous, which is what we're doing right now. It's two people talking live. It can be phone call, Zoom, in person. And asynchronous could be text messages, Slack. It could be uh, Marco Polo, WhatsApp, Voxer, whatever that is. So as a company, we're asynchronous communicators. Slack and Voxer. That's what we love to use. And is that, that just internally or is that like uh, externally to clients or users or customers? It's externally oh. as well. So you can okay. go with like talkwithspencer.com. If people want to talk with me, they can box with me right there. Okay. And, um, and so I don't do a lot of Zoom meetings. Uh, I don't, I did, I've done one in-person meeting in like the last couple of years. Just don't like doing it. Um, and it's not because I'm better than anyone else. It's just because it, it takes away some of your freedom because you have a commitment to be somewhere at a certain time. It does. And like a Zoom meeting, every once in a while, Zoom meetings happen. But the problem with the Zoom meeting, and I know some people are adamant, oh, my team's got to do a Zoom. But what you're doing is you're requiring everyone to show up at the top of their game at the same time. Likelihood of that is like really low. And so if your communication is tight and you say, hey, you know what? Like I'm going to create this message and send it. And you respond within a reasonable amount of time and every person can define what that is. You know, it could be a day or who knows what that is. Then, hey, we're great. 
and you live in a world of like, if a message comes in, I can be with my kids and I can get to it while I'm going out and putting the garbage cans away or on the way to the bathroom or whatever that is. And that's how it should be. It should just be this game of like volleyball constantly. Mm -hmm. So yes, uh, when we're on vacation, it's like a game of volleyball. When we're inside a uh, Uber or a taxi or on a bus or whatever it is, then I'll throw some boxes back and forth, some slacks. I'll check some emails and I'll do that. And when we're with the family, I'm with the family. I'm not doing the other stuff. And that's ultimately what a vacation should look like. Um, I do take off for the most part all Saturdays and Sundays because, you know, I've got little kids, you know, and so I want to spend as much time with them. There are times when things come up. The other piece to all of this is understanding what are the emergencies in your business. Mm -hmm. So most people don't establish that. And that's why they're always working because they think everything is an emergency. And if you're like, wait, hold on. Uh, the emergency would be if my bank account's hacked. Okay, bank account's not hacked. Okay, we're cool. Besides that, you're like, you can just talk with people and you can work with your team. And I promise that the team members want as much freedom as we do as well as the entrepreneurs. They might not be entrepreneurs themselves, but they do want that freedom and they want that autonomy. And so I'm willing to give it because they want it and I want it too. So I should feel special that I'm getting you face to face right now. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I don't, I do podcast interviews and then if it's certain connections, um, I will do like an intro meeting, but whenever someone's like, you know, in our company, if they're like, Oh, what's your pricing or Hey, at this, I'm like, dude, honestly, like we have clients that I don't know. I've never met. We have projects that I don't know about. Um, and I just have our business development run with it or director of operations or whatever it is. Um, and it's not because I don't care. Like I, I'm, you know, have my pulse on a lot of things, finger on, on it, but, but I just, you know, there are people that are better at doing those things. And I'm trying to reach your full potential. Exactly. You know, it's like, you know, someone, a mentor of mine said, um, you can have me or you can have it done well through like this person that follows the process. I love that. I love that. And, you know, you know, I, we're having a great conversation and I enjoy it. And I find the, the interviews that I want to do. And it's not because I'm better than anyone else, but you know, that's just how we've designed our lives. I think it's also self-awareness. Like, um, you know, I've become more and more sensitive to energy and just like what, you know, when I have, like, I just came back from Vegas, uh, Amazon prosper conference, and it's like the biggest event for Amazon service providers, sellers, you know, brands, um, solutions, um, and Wednesday afternoon, there was like, there's after parties afterwards, which are just full of networking. And I'm there to network. That's it. Like, I'm not even there to get business. I'm there to just like network with colleagues, competitors, service providers, whoever, all the people I talk to all year. And um, Wednesday evening, I like had, had had a ticket to get to this after party. And um, I was just so drained. I was there, like I had just been interacting with all these people face to face, shaking hands, um, exchanging energy in my mind, like you're giving some of yourself to them, they're giving some to you. And um, in this post pandemic world we're in, which made us just a little bit even more self aware, I guess about some of our some of our needs. Um, I just realized that when I'm at empty, when I'm not at my best, like you said, on a zoom call, like not everyone's at their best at the same time. I was just like, I'm going to go to dinner at Maggiano's. I'm going to sit at the bar. I'm going to eat some pasta and just recoup because I'm, I'm just more aware of 
where I am now than I used to be, I think, where it's just like I was drained. I had given 100 percent at the, you know, at the exhibit that day and just was done. Um, and I think it's to each their own. You know, some people I, I talk to brands all the time that are just like, well, I'm, I'm a call person or I'm a text person. And I'm like, well, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, I'm sorry. I, I operate off a calendar. Um, I don't just let anyone call my phone. Um, you know, I just don't do text. Like there's a, there's a, you can have me or you can have it, you know, what do you say the right way or you can have it? What, what was that exactly? I need it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it says, you know, you can have me or you can have it done well. You can have me or you can have it done well. Um, and it's just creating those boundaries. I think as a founder, as an entrepreneur, you go through different phases where you need to be accessible all the time, you know, to get it. But then once you, you know, once you're trying to scale and have the time to work on your business, like, um, you know, I was talking to a, a high end VA accounting firm, just like, you know, a few hours before this call, which will take me a lot of time to hand off some of that and, you know, get some of that over to them and all the training that goes into it. But when it's done, it's going to be great. And it's going to be, you know, something that I no longer have to touch or, or be involved with. And, and just knowing what those things are that you need to be a part of and which things aren't. Um, maybe it's just that you need to have calls with your two main leaders uh, on your team. And those are the ones you invest all of your communication energy into, um, you know, and then they feel the team. So yeah, I love this. I love this conversation. Uh, I feel like you're, you're at a place I'm trying to get to. Um, in regards to yeah, whenever I'm there, I'm very present because you're getting 100% me because I'm fueled up. Yeah. And, and, and it's really easy to believe the lies that are being said and portrayed in the business world too. Um, I'll tell you, there's another group that tells lies and fallacies like the business world, which are moms. Okay. Dude, moms are the worst at this. Uh, and I, I got tons of respect for moms, but this is what it sounds like, like two mom. And I know, cause just talking with my wife, she'll be like, you know, when they were younger, the kids are younger at the park yeah. and she'd be talking with another mom and, and the other mom would be like, Oh, you know, I don't know. They just turned out this way. It's just so easy. And it's like, no, no, that, that's not how it works. There's a lot of hard work. And it's like the the world where people are like, oh, I only check my email once a day or like, oh, I'm so efficient. I only do this once a week. And you're like, no, that's that's not really how it happens. And so there's, you know, what's being done and then what's being said. Uh, but at the same time, like, you know, we don't need to run a business that runs us. Yeah. Like if that's the case, we're probably being pressured too much and not making smart decisions. And so it's, it is going to be putting in some hard work. And there is another fallacy of, you know, Oh, I just want to be like Richard Branson and own a ton of different companies. Well, no, like that's, that's not how it is either. Like the guy's got a lot of operators that are doing things. And again, to get to that level, the amount of capital to get there is unbelievable. Yep. You know? And so it's it's really easy to be misguided as we go on the business journey and it's easy to be deceived by others you know sometimes the regardless of just starting out or being super successful it sucks mm -hmm. sometimes it's really hard sometimes you'll learn things that you don't want to learn um and that's how we all grow but it's it's really easy to get down that trap. And, and I hope that listeners don't do that. Cause I still, you know, when I, you know, lecture at a university or something, 
I'll hear them and, you know, kids will be like, oh, I'm going to be like Richard Branson. I'm going to have all these companies. It's like, dude, just, just get one, get it going, work that, then figure out the next one. No, that is fantastic advice. And that's the only thing we really said this podcast, I think it's a, it's a great way to end the episode. Um, you know, for, first of all, for everyone, all the kids out there, anyone that's listening to this, like those influencers, those big influencers, and some of them are investors and I'm generalizing in some ways, but you know, there's, I am personally am a team behind some of those influencers that have launched and built their brand. And so there's people and teams behind them. You need that face, you need that branding, you need that top of funnel awareness, but that's all they're doing. Um, and we're building everything else from the product to the branding, to the photography, to what graphics to use, to what images to use, to what to price it, to how to sell it, to how to advertise it. You know, we're doing it all. Um, so just perception is not everything, you know, and, and when you're comparing and picking your idols, choose or your mentors, choose the right ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's really big. And, and, you know, I talked about one of my failures being, or my things I wish I could do differently would be like setting ceilings too low for myself. I'm getting better at that. Um, one of the ones early on was like not knowing anything about business and being like, I want to do this and I want to be successful. I was taking in business advice from Gary Vee or Tim Ferriss or, you know, whoever might be like a podcast I'm listening to or absorbing. And I was trying to do things like they did it. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe that's the guy that's answering, uh, okay, he turns off his phone on Friday night till Monday morning. Well, that didn't work for me in the early days. Like there's no way I could have that balance. Um, I was trying to do things like with the advice from these people that were successful, but just doing it exactly like they did it. And what I really needed to take was take that advice. And then how does that fit with Andrew Morgan's um, and then implement that in my life and, you know, and make that a reality or at least set that goal. You're not even close to it. So don't try that, but work towards it. You know, can you get where, um, you know, you're just working four hours on Saturday instead of a full day or, you know, like I remember going to a, a a business accelerator in Babson with Goldman Sachs. And um, we couldn't have our phones or our laptops for like almost the whole week or the whole day up until the evening. So it was like 9am or 8am to 9pm. Phones didn't work, laptops didn't work. It was the first time I was away from my business where I wasn't like checking email, looking for, you know, fires. Uh, and it was, it was a forced way of learning that it was possible for me you know, to step away from it and all hell is not going to break loose. And okay, I loved that. How do I get that again? Because um, I, I made a lot of progress on my business by being there. Um, and I want to keep doing that. Yeah, so so true, man. It's like, uh, to be able to pull away to get rid of that dopamine hit, to, to yeah. realize that we're not as special as we think we are. Mm -hmm. That's a tough thing to swallow. It really is. This has been... Uh, a very enjoyable conversation. Um, I hope you guys check out podkick.com and everything that they do. We didn't talk all the details of that, but you, I think you can tell by the founder that they're probably kick ass. Where can people find you on you know, social media? We'll have your links in the bottom of the episode, but just for anybody listening in the car, where can people connect with you? Yeah. Um, you know what? Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you can also check out the podcast that I have, uh, which is called Business Growth. And then uh, for social media, I'm not super active. I mean, I've got a Twitter account and that's about it. LinkedIn, I think I have. Um, <laughs> I, you know, social is not a big thing for me, uh, but the podcast is. And that's a great way for me to share information. And then if people 
um, go to the podcast. I, in all the episodes, I explain how you can get in touch with me and uh, happy to answer questions or help out. I don't do uh, coaching or consulting or anything like that. I just average dude that enjoys what I do and helping other people. Average. Average is a little a bit of an understatement, <laughs> but um, appreciate that. We'll have all of the the those notes in the in the show notes as well. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much, Spencer. Thanks, Andrew. And thanks again to our sponsor for today's episode, uh, Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. If you're looking for developers, if you're looking for just digital help in general, Fullscale is a great spot to start. Um, would love to connect you. Please reach out to me personally. Um, I've used Fullscale for many of my needs. And as I'm starting to get into software, um, I'm trying to be more of a service-based company that gets a little tech-oriented. So um, right on par with um, you know, what Spencer was saying early. We'll see you next time, Hustlers. Thank you so much. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. Like we do it.